Hi, it's Sarah from Weird Horizon. Thank you for joining me for a very special collaborative episode today, where we cover a case that we have all been interested in covering for a little while. We wanted to approach this case from a slightly different perspective, exploring three key viewpoints on the case, the true crime, paranormal and mental health angle on the events. Hope you enjoy. So the tragic 2013 disappearance and death of 21-year-old Canadian student Elisa Lam has been called one of the most obsessively followed true crime cases of the century. As the details of the case and the perplexing security footage of her last recorded moments were shared with the public for information, it became one of the most publicised manhunts of the modern age, catching the attention of web sleuths and individuals alike. Hundreds threw themselves into solving the case, combing the elevator footage for clues. Through the poor quality and artifacting, Elisa's erratic movements and the elevator eerily frozen with a view of the hallway, they felt as if they looked close enough they would see someone step into frame. But where this case seems to shout foul play, constantly seeming to hint at a nefarious third party, frustratingly just out of shot. And as the search for evidence comes up frustratingly lacking, the vacuum comes to be populated by the specter that is the Cecil Hotel. A turn-of-the-century behemoth housing young travelers and long-term tenants alike. The fate of the hotel and Elisa have become so intertwined as to be indivisible. The hotel would be the last place Elisa was seen alive. It was intended as one stop on her travels, in the documented desire to see it all, experience a little more of the world, and it became her last stop. Is the hotel a nexus of darkness or a struggling business with a specifically dangerous set of socioeconomic factors? Can the place itself be evil? Is there something to be said about certain violent crimes that leaves behind a mark? One thing for sure is that this case brings up a lot of questions about how we approach this intersection between the paranormal and occult and true crime. Hi, I'm Kai from Love and Murder Podcast, along with my co-host, Shar. Hi, Shar. Say hi. So hi, guys. This is Sharae from Love and Murder. Kai and I are just so delighted to be here with Sarah today. And if you are new, you don't know Love and Murder, Love and Murder is your weekly true crime podcast discussing relationships gone terribly wrong. And when I say terribly wrong, Shar, how wrong do I mean? Dead wrong, Kai. They're dead. D-E-D. Dead wrong. Yeah, it's so dead we leave out the A. And this week we're actually with Sarah from Weird Horizon. Sarah, how are you doing? Yeah, this is Sarah from Weird Horizon. So if you don't know me, I do a podcast about paranormal, occult, and sort of conspiracy theory topics. So this is going to be a bit of an interesting one today as we're doing a bit of a crossover episode between the two, basically. <laughs> going to be amazing and so far we've had no glitches at all this has gone wonderfully everybody (laughs) (laughs) absolutely swimmingly yeah (laughs) and for our american listeners as you can hear sarah is from britain and for our britain listeners 
we're here with y'all. We're across the pond. And I'm not even going to try a British accent. I'm not going to do it. Do it. Do oh, it. come on. Kai, it's always fun. I will not. So, Sarah, I don't know if you listen to any of our podcasts. I always, whenever I'm reading quotes, I always put on the accent from wherever the person's from. But mm -hmm. the problem is I'm terrible at accents. Like, I'm terrible at accents. So. You have to do it. You can't say that you do accents and then not do a British accent. Exactly. <laughs> Plus, it's always fun. I'm, I know our listeners kind of look forward to it because they never know when it's going to pop up. So go okay. for it, Kai. I'll, I'll do it. So I'll do it organically somewhere in the show. It's going <laughs> to be so terrible, Sarah, that you won't even know that I'm doing an accent. <laughs> <laughs> I just think something's happening with Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we're doing here is we're going to be talking about, well, the case the case in terms of true crime of Elisa Lam and the case in terms of the paranormal aspects of it of Elisa Lam told from Sarah's point of view. So we're doing a crossover, y'all. That's what's going on here. This is our very first time. So for everyone who hasn't heard about the case of Elisa Lam, so like there's a Netflix show that does talk about it, but I didn't watch it. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about the Netflix show? This show i am pretty new to watching true crime shows on netflix but it is very good it goes into a lot of detail it goes into the background of kind of what we know about lisa lamb's life and some of the sort of documents that surround the case because it's quite an interesting case in that like we do have footage that can be shared and i'm sure we're going to talk about that and also elisa um, posted a lot of her thoughts on social media so it includes a lot of that like dramatized readings of that um, but it's quite a short case um, in terms of what happens in the timeline it's quite short and this this series is this is long this is a good like the long four hours worth of um, detail around the case which is quite interesting and I'm happy to wow share the show that. was four hours yeah, yeah Kai, was, so Sarah oh. and I were just comparing notes because we both watched it and we were like, okay, that was really lengthy. And we were trying to figure out, we felt like they kind of just repeated and necessarily tried to drag out what really happened opposed to just kind of getting to it and making sense of it. So we definitely kind of compared notes in the in the similar manner. It was really lengthy. But I mean, was there really that much to say? I don't know. We'll We'll find out. Okay, so listeners, so this is Kai. Um, so the reason why I'm shocked as to Netflix having a four hour show about this is basically from the true crime standpoint, this is the everything in a nutshell. So Elisa Lam is actually from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, which is in Canada for anybody who doesn't know. Um, she was going to the University of British Columbia and it was winter break. So on January 26th, and this happened in 2013, she decided she was going to, you know, just take a trip just to calm her mind. You know, like when you're in college and you just you just you just want some downtime. It's like you've been writing papers, listening to teachers drone on, studying, you know, you just need some downtime. So she was planning on going on a solo trip uh, down the East Coast of the United States. And her parents didn't want her to go because like, really, I mean, okay, I know I'm going to get backlash from this. Kai always gets backlash for her thought process, but look, women shouldn't be traveling alone. Okay. 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 Please don't come at me in the inbox, please, please. But we shouldn't be traveling alone, but she wanted to. And her parents were like, her parents relented and they were like, okay, as long as 
you call us every day, text us every day, whatever, let us know that you're safe. You can go ahead and do it. So she did it. She came to the United States. She went to LA, arrived by train and, um, you know, called her parents. So that's January 26th. So she checked into the Cecil Hotel in LA and on January 31st, she was supposed to check out. But on that day, she didn't check in with her family either. So her family, her mom is just as crazy as I am because they immediately called the police. And no lie, I would give my daughter till 6.01 a.m. on that day. <laughs> if she hasn't called me, I don't care if you overslept from a night of partying. If she hasn't called me, I'm calling the cops. So that's what her mom did, called the cops to do a, a well-person check. And the LAPD went out to the hotel and they couldn't find Elisa anywhere. So that was January 31st. So by February 1st, and then 14 days later, February 14th, the police actually revealed a surveillance video that was taken from the cameras inside the Cecil Hotel. And the video is four minutes long. It's a long video, four minutes long. Only like three and a half of it actually shows Elisa. And now if you look at this video, she's acting erratically. She seems to be talking to nobody. She seems to be scared. Like she, it, she's in the elevator and she's like hiding in the corner and she looks out, jumps out, looks both ways, jumps back in, you know, and then she's waving her hand, but you know, she's waving her hand like she's talking to someone, but nobody's there. Nobody at all is in frame. And then she jumps in, jumps out a couple times, presses all the buttons on the elevator, jumps out one last time, stays at the corner. So you see her, she's leaning against the wall of the elevator. So you only see like one arm and then she walks down the hallway and then the camera just stays on the elevator and you just see the elevator door opening and closing and then nothing else. So that's a brief synopsis of the whole case, but somehow from that, which I told that in what, four minutes, maybe Netflix made a four hour long show, which is yeah. hilarious to me. Yeah. And Kai, there is just one point that I wanted to make. And Sarah, I wondered if you, if you did catch this, there also was footage of a, of a, the front of a shoe, a black shoe, which she was not wearing that was outside the door of the elevator. It just, you can just see it for a couple of seconds. It's gone. So they don't know. In fact, was this some, someone that was in the hallway? You know, there's just little tiny minute possibilities of clues, but then it's kind of like, do I really have a clue here? Am I reaching? And then there's no answer behind it, but but definitely there's questions. What do you guys think about that? So that kind of goes into something that I was going to bring up later on. But what I was going to say was if Sarah could tell us, because I didn't go into her death and everything like that. So I stopped that. She disappeared, you know. She just disappeared out of frame and the elevator just kept going. So Sarah could just tell us, you know, on from that, what's, what's going on after that. So this footage that you're talking about was shared pretty early on in the case. As I understand it, it was put out, put online by a member of the police department in just the hopes to get some information because in this footage was Elisa in like the last clothes they remember her being in this was kind of how she looked on the day that she went missing um, and it was corroborated with some like other people that she went to visit there's a bookstore that she visited as well so this was shared pretty early on to try and get some information about where is Elisa and very very quickly absolutely took off when it comes to popularity 
but then there's a bit of a there's a bit of a lull there where like there's really not a lot of information that is um being found like this is the last concrete bit of information we have about where Elisa was or where Elisa's been and then there's just nothing she seems to like vanish out of thin air at this point it feels like there's you can argue that like it being shared publicly um the case kind of gets a little bit out of hand and a lot of like online like investigators kind of jump on it and derail it a little bit because like there's just mm-hmm. really not that much information to the case at this point yeah there there isn't she just disappeared and actually so that footage was released on the 14th and then on the 19th the hotel a maintenance worker santiago lopez actually found elisa's body floating and it was like it We'll go through the whole series of events of how it was found, but it was found in one of the hotel water tanks on the roof. And when he opened the the hatch to the water tank, her body was just looking up. Her face was looking up at him and it was found floating in that water tank. And oh, my God, when we go through the reason why he even decided to look up there, I'm telling you, listeners, you're going to be grossed the F out like, oh, so from Sarah's point of view, let's 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 talk about the footage of the elevator. So as we know, Sarah's podcast is about the whole paranormal aspect. When you saw that elevator footage for four minutes, like what were you thinking? What was going through your head? What did you think was going to happen? What did you think you were going to see? I, I have to admit, when I first saw the elevator footage, I didn't, um, I sort of saw it in isolation from the case. So I didn't really realize what it was linked to, but it's just one of those videos that is like, is still shared around to this day. It's just a paranormal video, creepy and unexplained, because there's so much about it that's like, it's like horror movie kind of stuff. Um, like the way, um she's moving in the video to the way like the video is compressed and sort of the movement that it gives and like how very quickly um it changes from her being like quite in control and walking into the elevator seemingly quite relaxed and then like the the body language the change like it's like if you wanted to plot a, a mini horror movie it's like perfect even the way it's framed it seems like eerily perfect to the point honestly when I first saw it I thought this was some I thought it was to do with like a film or something I thought this was some marketing for some horror concept because it just seems to hit all of those all of those beats you know so I do agree with you it was it looked creepy it oh my god and I don't know if y'all felt this but I just I was feeling like very anxious and I was waiting for something to appear like whether it was in the hallway whether it was coming from the back of the elevator like something I just kept waiting for something to just show up a shadow just something yeah when the door hangs you think there's something something's just gonna swipe across it's like you're sort of exactly to expect something to exactly across in that gap it's really like uncanny I can see why it is so widely shared and like it feels awful to feel that about it because this is this is someone's real life and this is you know real footage but it just it just seems 
like so perfect if you wanted to like seed this idea of like a ghost or someone being pursued by something it's I can't think of a better way to do that in like three and a half minutes and again that sounds horribly disrespectful but it's just like as a little piece as a narrative piece it's you can see why people absolutely latched onto it yeah yeah I remember when I first saw it I had so many questions and so many ideas because you okay there's one of three ways you could take this you could take this as the paranormal so as Sarah could attest it could be that she was talking to something we couldn't see you know only she could see it and it wasn't caught on camera so there's that we could take it as true crime which that comes into our realm which then I'm like was someone in the frame, but it was somebody important enough that they took time to Photoshop them out or something like that. So she's literally talking to somebody, but when they released the footage, they edited that person out. So it just looks like she's like talking to herself or, or you could take it into the frame of mind of mental illness now. So she could have thought she was talking to someone and she's hallucinating. So it goes back into she was seeing something that we're not seeing, but to her it's real. And, you know, so she's having a conversation so what with whatever she can see. And then that leads to this whole train of, chain of events. So it could be just one of three things. So whenever I think about this case, I think about it from each aspect, actually. And Kai, you actually bring up a good a good point about the possibility of if you know maybe hallucinations. She had a history of mental illness, and she documented that. But speaking of foul play, when it comes to the tape itself, authorities did say that at one point, mysteriously, some of the time was completely just blacked out, where they could not see it and they couldn't account for the time. There was like a whole block of time that the recording did not pick up anything. I don't know if it stopped and then started again. And so the authorities were saying, they were looking at the possibility of the fact that the tape could have been stopped intentionally so that you wouldn't, as to block someone or something that was involved. I saw that. Uh, I had the question of if, if it had been tampered with at the point before it reached the police, I, I question why it would have been shared in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you had the access to the CCTV and you could you could clip bits out, why would you release anything? Actually, that's exactly my that was exactly my point was that entire segment when they were saying that the time stamped wasn't clear. Did the time stop? How do they know specifically when this was happening? And then when it if it did stop, that would explain why we didn't see evidence of someone else, because maybe that that person or thing would did not want itself to be revealed, you know. Um, and didn't it, you say there was a shoe or something that was there for a second? Yeah, they showed it. Yeah, it literally for, was for about maybe two seconds and a half, a quarter. But they showed it a few times. They kept doing a rewind on it. It was literally the front of a black shoe, but she literally was not wearing a black shoe of any sort at, on that particular day. So they knew it was not hers, but, the, but, you know, and at one point it's almost like she was leaning out, looking that direction really quickly when you saw the shoe, but really there was never any evidence of her actually talking to someone that we can see, you know, 
And so I don't know if it's a mental illness thing, but sometimes you have to think about the paranormal. When the, when the paranormal is happening, you know, recordings can stop because, because the lines get blurred. If there's, you know, even with radial frequencies, they get tampered, you know, from the other side because we can't explain that, but they, they're, all, they're on a different frequency. So we don't know if it was that, you know, possible, possible. And we don't know if it was literally someone who was like, okay, I'm going to maybe after the fact, but yeah, it would be <laughs> after the fact that you would just, you would just clip it. But I was going to say, let's take it, let's take it from the three aspects. So the most, gen- well, I don't want to say generic and I don't want to undermine this because I do have some, somebody in my family dealing with this, but neither, neither of our podcasts deal with this aspect of it. So let's first talk about the mental health aspect of it. So, okay, let me let me say what I've what I found in my research, and then I'll see what y'all think about this. So, in the mental health aspect of it, like Char said, she did write about that she had mental health issues. She was actually diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder and depression, and when they did an autopsy on her, they did found that she had one antidepressant in her system, and then she had another antidepressant and a mood stabilizer in her system, but those were not taken on the day of her disappearance. So those were taken on a different day, but they were still like, they, you know, these medicines stay in your system for like up to 48 hours. So they were still dispersing through her system. And then she had taken an antidepressant that day. And then no illegal drugs or alcohol were found in her system. So basically what it's seeming like is that she was on this medication and then they listed a bunch of other medications that should have been in her system, but were not. Um, so she was on medication for her bipolar uh, disorder, and she might have been on um, other medications for, you know, psychosis and stuff. But if you're not taking your medicine properly, that definitely causes issues. So, so basically, if you want to find that, you can go online. You can search her name, and it'll tell you the list of medicines she was taking. And so, some of these medicines, if you don't like wean yourself off of it properly. If you just stop cold turkey, they do cause hallucinations and stuff. So there's a possibility that, you know, since she was gone from home, so that was between, what was the date she came down? The 26th and the 31st. So she had stopped taking her medicines on the 26th. Between the 26th and the 31st, that's enough time for these medicines to come out of your system cold turkey and you're not supposed to do that. So she could have very well been hallucinating. Um, And when I was watching it, so I have someone close to me who is schizophrenic and bipolar. And when they don't take their medicine, which is also a symptom of their mental illness, they get to a point where they think they're good and or they think they're good or they think everybody around them is against them and they think we're trying to poison them or something. So they do stop taking their medicine, flush it down the toilet, whatever, whatever. And then... I know for a fact this person that I'm talking about, they do, they hallucinate. They have whole conversations with people that we can't see. And they they hear the people, the people talk to them, tell them what to do. If you don't do this, something bad's going to happen. Just all of this. So when I saw her, when I saw Elisa having this conversation and she's doing all of this and looking like she's running from somebody that actually brought back memories. And so that's why I was thinking about the mental health aspect of it. And I had to delve into that portion of my research to see if, 
if she had mental health issues, because even if it wasn't documented that she had mental health issues, that doesn't mean anything because a lot of people with mental health issues are not, you know, they don't come forward or people don't believe them. Um, a lot of doctors write, and this is coming from my own personal experience, a lot of doctors write off stuff that they can't explain as anxiety and then they'll shut you out and that's it. They don't even try and find an answer. So this is the mental health aspect of it that I was thinking about. And then, like, this, like I said, the person that I'm thinking about, there have definitely been times where the voices told them to jump in a body of water. They have jumped into pools, like with everything on, everything with them. They've jumped into pools and sank to the bottom and the voices were like, you have to stay here. Uh, they have jumped into just a random river. And, you know, so it could have been that, like, Maybe she was hallucinating and the voices were telling her that she needs to get into a body of water right now and stay at the bottom or whatever. So this kind of brought back, even I'm talking about it, I'm just like, my body is like, I'm getting chills, you know? So maybe she, the voices were telling her that, and then she went to find a body of water, which was at the roof of the hotel, which then begs more questions, but I don't want to monopolize this conversation. So I'm going to ask Sarah, what do you think about everything that I just said? I I think people really do underestimate, like, um, one, just how, like, easily in some ways people can have absolutely, like, wild hallucinations. Like, even if you aren't struggling with your mental health, there are so many, so many things that can happen to you that will cause you to have hallucinations and not be able to immediately pinpoint, oh, this is hallucination. Like your vision can change in so many sort of like slow creeping ways and you won't know how bad the change is until something potentially sort of keys you into it. So I think like even ignoring, even if we pretend we don't know about her history with mental health, the idea of someone... um, in an unfamiliar place on their own and potentially being in a situation to see stuff that isn't necessarily there. Like, I don't think that's a crazy thing to assume anyway. Um, I think, for personally for me, I think the reason people didn't immediate, immediately come at it from a mental health perspective is because of, like, you can feel free to disagree, but like, because of her, because of her Tumblr, because she constantly put out like um this impression on social media who's someone who's struggling but someone who seems quite um who seems pretty on top of things and then you see this um you see this footage where she seems like she is completely the opposite like obviously very very distressed and I think people like to look at those things and assume like the impression she put out into the world is entirely truthful and that there's a big difference between that and the situation we see her in, in the elevator footage. But like, I don't, I don't think that's entirely true. I, I don't, it's hardly a hot take to say that, you know, people aren't putting out like a totally authentic view of themselves on social media. But I think people like, like to believe that everything she was putting out was pretty truthful, but I don't know if either of you were on Tumblr in 2013, but like people were not putting out exactly truth about how their 
life was going if you know that was a bit of a tangent but like that was the thought that immediately came to my mind yeah I mean 2022 people still aren't putting out what's going on in their life really so but you're 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 completely right she put out what she put out and she might not have been lying to her that was 100% true like with the person that I'm referring to that I'm close to um how do I put this? Unless you know them and you you can see the changes in them, you'll think they're regular. You'll think they're just moving along like, well, nothing's wrong with them. No. And the rest of us who knows this person, we're like, mm, they're about to go into hospital. They're about to have a break. So to the rest of the world, we're the crazy ones because we're like, watch out. No, don't don't listen to what this person is saying. This is not... And they're like, oh, no, what, what is, what's wrong with you? Why are you blocking this person's truth? But unless you actually know the person and see the signs that they're about to have a break, it, it just looks like, yeah, they're posting. So just to use this analogy, yeah, they're posting to social media and they look fine and nothing's wrong. And so to take this, this post into social media and then turn around and see this girl waving at the air and pressing buttons and jumping in and out of a whole, out of a elevator, it just doesn't match up, but we don't know her well enough to know what her signs were. So we can't just assume that. So also, but here's the thing, it wasn't just that people saw her being this happy, giddy go, happy-go-lucky person. She consistently would share with her followers, I'm not feeling well. This is really hard. In fact, I believe it was the day that she was uh, found missing, that she disappeared, that she said, because she, she pretty much journaled regularly on, this was Instagram, I believe it was, they said that she did say, today I'm feeling so blah, and depression is really hard. And there's something else, you guys, that I don't know if you caught this, but um, so a few days before this, before her disappearance, she checked out of a room that she was originally in a room with three other young ladies. When she moved into the room, the way they had it set up is whoever comes in, they can move into this kind of communal room. So she didn't know them, but it's just how the hotel set it up. And the reason she had to check out, she had to, she was forced to, is because everybody else in the room, they were complaining that she was acting too weird, too too off. And this is according to them. So just weird, off, psychotic, and we don't want to be around her. So they complained to the hotel, and then they made her check out and go into a different room. So that's how that well, happened. That, thank you. And that's what brings me to her journaling that day, that she was just feeling so blah and depression was so hard. So I guess even being around other people, it's hard for her, you know, in certain situations. So that could have depressed, depressed her even more to have these strangers actually say that they just don't want to be around her. You know, that's enough reason for anyone to feel really, really bad, you know, regardless of whatever mental state that you were in prior to that. That information from what I was aware didn't come out until quite a bit later. So after, you know, they'd done a bit more digging um, because, you know, from an outside looking in, if you look at someone who's like, this is their first time away from home and like fairly introverted, pretty, pretty like sort of bookish person, and then they're on their own traveling solo. And then you hear all this information about them behaving erratically. I feel like if this information had been 
presented initially with the um with the elevator footage people would just come at this case in you know from a completely different viewpoint because it seems you know if you put all of this together it seems quite clear that she's kind of struggling and not in the in the best frame of mind or like not having a great time like did you um did you hear about the um the live recording that she goes to um when she's in LA she goes to a live recording and they kick her out of this recording because she's being really disruptive and like again if no this is I didn't hear about that yeah so she's she's kind of on the one hand seemingly trying to really put herself out there and do some quite extroverted things and really like put herself out there when she's in LA and get new experiences but then you hear of all these times of her being sort of ejected from places and like again if that information was there from the get-go I would people be looking at it in the same way? Like, it just seems like someone who's really, really, really struggling. Yeah, and it actually sounds, now that you're saying all of this, for her to make this trip and everything and want to do it by herself, these are all red flags to me based in based on my experience. I can't speak about what everybody else is Absolutely. dealing with or going through. Yeah, but based on my experience, it seems like she was in a manic phase because usually when they're in manic phases – they feel like they can do whatever. They feel like, you know, you can't tell them anything. They're the best ever. They feel good about themselves. They want to, they go, they, the people that I know. And again, I have to say this, Sarah, you're, you're not really familiar with our show, but I have to say this, please, people with S's on your chest, don't go, don't come for me. I'm just talking based on my experience and I cannot speak on everybody else because everybody has different experience. Everything manifests differently. So based on the experiences that I've had dealing with this, whenever they are in that manic phase, they usually do travel. Like, isn't that insane? They usually do travel. And that's exactly what she did. Out of the blue, suddenly she wanted to go on a whole trip down the West Coast. So it's to me, in terms of the mental health aspect, it's lining up now. Do you think that's why her parents were so adamant against her not going, not just being very protective parents to a a very young girl, but perhaps it was because her parents knew how unstable she was mentally to go that far by herself. It could be, but at the same time, you can't stop them. There's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why they said, hey, if you reach out to us every day, just let us know you're okay. And they probably sat her down and had a whole conversation. Don't forget to take your medicine. Don't forget to take this. Don't forget to take it in. They probably did all of that. And there probably wasn't anyone who could stop what they were doing, like stop their lives or take off of work or whatever to go with her. I'm pretty sure if they were able to, they would have been like, well, okay, you want to take this trip? All right, we'll just go with you or something, you know? Yeah, and like you said, so, they um, as soon as... Elisa didn't, as soon as she didn't get in contact for just one day, they were immediately like, we need to send someone around right now. They weren't just like, oh, maybe she's busy. Maybe she's met some people. They were very much immediately. Yeah. Like, no, and most parents aren't like that. No, exactly. Most parent, people of, most parents of people that age, I don't think would be immediately like that. And I think um, if they they may not have been aware fully of what's going on, but you can't say that they wouldn't have understood their daughter and understood that maybe something 
is going on here that's not 100%, you know, she's not 100% her usual self right now. Okay, so, so far, I'm sold on mental health. So if y'all are following us listeners, we're going to go through the three different theories. So we've done mental health. So far, I'm sold on mental health. Let's go through the paranormal aspect of it. So if this video and the background of this hotel, let's get into the paranormal aspect of it. So that's totally Sarah's, Sarah's side. So let's talk about this. What do you, what do you have questions you have to ask? What are your pointers to kind of get the listeners turned into or tuned into maybe this is paranormal and not just mental health? It's the fact it's the setting. So the Cecil Hotel has a really long history of people just suffering there or, you know, violent crimes happening in or around it. So the setting itself immediately, I think in certain people's eyes, primes them to think there's something going on spiritually. Either there's some sort of like ghostly presence or some sort of impression in the building itself um, that comes from what's happened in the past because the Cecil is if you have a look at pictures of it it's very interesting in that like the front of it the the first impression you get is very grand it's very beautiful but then as soon as you get past like the foyer the immediate entrance um it's clear that it's it's really it's been struggling for a very very long time and housed a lot of people who are in really awful situation so for the last you know 100 years last century since the depression really people have been staying there who are really in a bad economic situation who are you know in a really bad position to get taken advantage of a lot of vulnerable people stay there a lot of people who are kind of on the fringes of society and unfortunately that means it's the setting itself has been host to a lot of a lot of violent crime, murders, suicides. It's just everything's happened on it. Um, in the series, they interview the general manager, and in her estimates, it's around eighty people have died on the premises, either at their own hands or under other people's hands. So, for certain people, when they see that someone's gone missing in this building the immediate assumption is that it's something to do with the building itself. There's something about it that encourages violence or that people are drawn to, people are suffering a sort of drawn into, and that maybe there's some sort of energy residue in the building that is affecting the events. So there's a real, real basic primer. So either it's haunted in some way, there's a spirit of a previous victim, or there's something innate to the building that means bad things just happen there so that's I think briefly why a lot of people come at it from a paranormal point of view. I actually am aware that it's just about 100 years old it opened in 1924 um, that was about 96 years ago maybe so just a little under 100 years and but during the span of the last manager um, she actually said over the 10 years that she knew 80 people had died, but it could have been more. And, and that she said that, okay, this is something 
um, Kai, that Sarah and I were having a little discussion about this, but I noticed that even in, even when they were doing their docu- documentary facts, they were saying that the man, the new manager said, well, the maintenance person says to her, okay, in this room, someone died. In this room, someone had a drug overdose. In this room, someone died. In this room, and she goes, wait, 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 wait. The manager, the new manager at this time, she says, is there one room where someone has not died in this hotel or has some type of tragedy? And he goes, no, there has been a tragedy in in every room at that point when she became manager. I think this particular person was manager until the hotel closed, because at this time, I don't believe it's open, but it's almost a hundred year history. They had so much tragedy many years before, unfortunately, this happened with Elisa Lamb. So there was always some type of a turmoil. They also said that the CISO is where derelicts of society, people that are you know, murderers that are on the run, um, you know, people that are just, they go on killing sprees. One gentleman had killed 14 people across the nation. Where does he stay? At the Cecil. He considers that home. So they said that it's just kind of a place where, you know, all the bad people want to come to make it their home and bring their dirt back to you, so to speak. And that's really not fair because when they did change management and they did have this grand idea to reclaim the hotel as uh, as the stay on Maine. And unfortunately, that's where uh, Elisa found it uh, because it actually did have reviews. There was plenty of reviews all over, you know, social media. And, 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 and unfortunately, most of the reviews were very bad. So that is why management had this bright idea. Hey, let's just revamp the, you know, the sound of the hotel. Let's change the name initially, but see what people didn't know when they come to stay there. If you stay at the stay on Maine, and as Sarah and I were discussing prior to this, so imagine this, Kai. So you're staying at the stay on Maine, which is supposed to be this lively, bright orange color, very, very more, more fun and, and youthful feeling vibe. But you are still sharing an elevator with the derelicts of society, the people that are murderers killers, you know, that even those that are on drugs very heavily, they keep them on, on, on specific floors, but you're all using the same elevators. There was no way for management to separate that. So you are still blending with all these other people who are very scary. Remember, Skid Row is just a hop, skip, and a block down. And so imagine who that's bringing into the hotel. As a matter of fact, several of the people that stayed there regularly for years even they came from skid row they had a program even as far as i understand it there was is and i think still is a certain part of the building that is used for long-term housing for people who are on skid row or people who are um, experiencing homelessness and it's designed to give you a little a fairly low cost base that you can kind of get back on your feet so part of that building had to no matter what they did branding wise had to be there as a resource for people who needed it. But it did mean unavoidably that if you market half of your hotel as like a hostel for young travelers, those people are going to be unavoidably sharing spaces with people who, for whatever reason, can't get access to other housing. So a lot of the time, like you said, it's people who have issues with drugs or people who can't pass a background check on an apartment or can't afford it because they don't have consistent income meaning that unfortunately it put a lot of people in a really vulnerable position and like you're saying it's it's the rebranding because 
um elisa didn't she didn't book the hotel to stay at you know the most haunted hotel in la she booked to stay at stay on main which is a pretty cost effective um choice for someone a young traveler to stay at she wasn't thinking oh let's stay at this notorious hotel where loads of people have been murdered and died but like that's how people came at this they came out from this from the history of oh it's got this really checkered past but like she most likely didn't have any idea of it at all because like there was a conscious effort to sort of distance themselves from that um impression of the seesaw I think people like to think she booked it as if like let's go stay at the most haunted hotel but like that just was not the case yeah and so my thing is I don't understand okay I know that some hotels are designed that way where you know you could you could book it a night a day a week or, or months and they said even years in this case so a lot of people do believe that the hotel's vicinity to Skid Row is really a contributing factor in in the rise in violence and just the the notoriety that the hotel has changed. Uh, the, the people that knew the hotel knew to fear it. But if you're coming from another country and you're looking on Booking.com or what have you, you know you're not going to know the history. Just like when you relocate to a city to look for a new apartment, how will you know? that all the drugs that are ever wanted are found right, you know, a block away, or that there was just a murder next door in your same building. Like you won't know these things. Even if you do research, you won't necessarily know that. So it's really just, it's it's kind of a setup, you know, against her because she really, honestly, Sarah, being that we, you know, we, we were kind of aware of, you know, the part of the documentary where they talked about the new manager that came in. I kind of feel like it was, unfair in a way to not just shut down the rest of the hotel that you know was having all of these deaths issues and overdoses and completely revamp the entire hotel under one name and one look and 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 just a whole new feeling of hey this is a safe place but what do they do they said they didn't want to kick out the people that were homeless they didn't want to kick out the drug dealers and the killers because they knew that this is something they can always go to because it was inexpensive I really kind of feel like the hotel is responsible for what happened to Elisa because they, those elevators again, were accessible to everyone. So I have to say this so far, and I'm thinking from the aspect of our listeners so far, I'm not, I'm still on the mental health. I'm not really, I'm not really uh, convinced on the paranormal aspect of it. If that has anything to do with her disappearance. Yeah, I agree. I think people like to think, um, the idea that some place might be haunted is, I there's no way nice, nice way to say this, but like it's an easier thing to think that the hotel might be haunted than to think that this is a product of, you know, someone struggling with their mental health and honestly some pretty bad decisions on the on the side of the hotel um, and you know the downtown LA sort of government like. Is easier to think, ooh, like spooky ghosts, maybe um, it's to do with something that happened in the past and think like, no, this is a real issue. And this was a conscious point at someone by someone to market it in this way and to put loads of people in danger. Like, I think it's just mm. easier out to think, oh, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's a ghost. Maybe she's talking to a ghost instead of like, no, nah, this, honestly, this could have been avoided. <laughs> It sounds awful, but that's how I feel. Yeah. Okay. So, 
sorry, Sarah, your your aspect is out. So we're not in paranormal now. So now it's between mental health and true crime. So oh, I'm yeah. still leaning towards <laughs> mental health. <laughs> so let's delve into the true crime aspect. So now in the true crime aspect, according to Netflix, because I didn't see this, there are times missing from the video. So in addition to a, a corner of a black shoe being seen, so that's two things. Um, my crazy paranoid mind, which, you know, you should take my mind into consideration when we're talking about this case. My crazy paranoid mind that she was actually talking to someone, but then they just turned in the footage, which then it's like, oh, why? I'm pretty sure the cops could have seen that. Why would they have posted that? Why would they have allowed that? Which then makes me wonder who if the cops are okay with this, who was in that footage? Then more questions on my part. Number one, her body was found on the roof, like I said. Why was the roof access open? Because normally that access is locked off. And if for some reason somebody gets past the locks, number two, there's an alarm. Why was that alarm not off? So, you know, if you go through like the doors of certain buildings and they say, uh, don't go through here, alarm was, will sound or employees only, alarm will sound. I'm pretty sure they had that set up because if you look at any hotel, they have that. So why did the alarm not go off? Number three, why wasn't there a lock on the water tower door itself? Because you have to open this door to jump into the water tower. And if you look at any water tower anywhere, there's a lock because you know, anybody would would try and throw something in a water tower just to be funny, teenagers, whatever. Why was there not a lock on the water tower? So all of these, these things, this is what's making me think true crime. What do y'all think? So how does she know it was on the 15th floor? How How is that? I just believe that she just wasn't on a vacation to think, let me just go jump in a big water tower. Like, I don't believe that. And so if you're talking about foul, foul play, that's true crime. So you're proving my no, point now. No, I mean, when I say foul play, I still mean possible paranormal because it's still foul play because it's not fair. Something that you can't see. Maybe that's who, maybe that's what happened in the elevator. They might have, that's what they were telling her. Go ahead, Sarah. What were you saying? Oh God. So I can kind of, you know, like you were saying, like, um, you can see how you can get into the water tower and everything. There is a path you could take where there's um, there's a fire escape that you can use to get up there. The question I have is when they had the big team of police sweeping the building and they swept the building from like, you know, floor to, to roof, basically trying to trace this path of if she's still in this building, where could she go? So if she's just headed upwards, up as far as she could get, they searched the roof at some point, but they didn't. Why was there no path? Like, why was there no trail of scent that you can find of her getting from the edge of the roof into the water tower? Because she has to travel a bit of space. And like, they never, they never fully explained that. Like they explained this, there was some misreporting with the, with the hatch in that initially it was reported that the hatch was closed, making people think that someone would have had to have, helped put her into the water tower and enclose after but that turned out that was just misreporting of the facts but why is there no path why couldn't they find like a trail of scent going from the roof to the water tank because they searched it pretty soon after her disappearance 
But when you say a train of a trail of scent, that means they had a dog. And if you're just doing like the initial search was just a well person search. So they wouldn't have like cadaver dogs or anything like that. It's just the police going out and looking. And, you know, I don't think anybody would initially think, hey, maybe we should check the water tower. Maybe somebody jumped in because their first thought would be like, well, maybe she stayed over at a party or somebody's house, but we'll check the hotel. So they said like they could trace her up to um there was a window there's a window you could open and then it would take you onto the outside fire escape and they could sort of trace her movements up to that window um but like that's as far as they got which it doesn't make any sense to me if you feel like the only trail you can find of someone is them climbing out of a window which leads to like a metal fire escape to the roof why did they not carry on and go up to the roof? That's what I don't understand. That's why we th- I'm thinking it's paranormal. That's exactly why, because then it's not explainable because if it was a human being that did that, there'd be other, there would be some other facts. There would be, was, was it the lodge closed? It wasn't closed. So initially when they reported on it, they said that the loach, the, the latch was closed. So it had been closed after her, but it turns out it wasn't, it was when the maintenance um, man found her, um, the hatch was open. So he just, you know, climbed the little ladder that's on the side of it and looked in and just saw. That's right. That's right. He went up there and he looked around the, the, the roof. What led him to that one water tower was the hatch was open and he was like, what? And he went up to look. But why wasn't it locked? That's why would you not? That's my question. Mm-hmm. Especially the area that we're it's not hard to access, but like I said, the question is, why wasn't it locked? Because even disregarding the safety side of it, like this was this was 2013. It's not like this was 50 years ago. Like, you know, health and safety is a big thing and it should have been locked. But also, like you are, that's direct access to the water supply for the hotel for hundreds of rooms. Exactly. From a purely safety point of view, it should have been locked because you could put anything in there. And they've shown that access to it is pretty trivial. You just have to be able to get basically to the elevator of pretty much a public building and then just go up to the roof. Like, why was there not anything stopping people just chucking something into there? Well, that's, and you know, Sarah, that's exactly what brings me back to my original point uh, about the couple who was staying at the hotel. I think that's what led investigators to check the tower because who would just assume, oh, maybe the dead body's in the water tower. This couple said they were staying there and they complained to management or to the front desk that the water tasted terrible and the pressure was disrupted. And so what did they do? Management, of course, they, they just move you to another room. And they said, but the water tasted really disgusting and they complained so much. And I think that maybe that's one reason that why you know, they're thinking maybe we should check the water tower because like Sarah said, anyone can put anything in there. And that's when they discovered that's okay. This is why the water tastes like crap. You know, it tastes, it tastes, say that I just taste like death. Like, I'm sorry, but it probably tasted like death. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. So that's what, that's what made them even think of looking at the water tower. It's people were complaining about the water pressure, Mm -hmm. brown, 
weird looking water was coming out of the faucets and out of the shower. They were still bathing in that. Oh my God. Yeah. That oh couple said it was the most disgusting thing they ever imagined. Dude, just, dude, no, what okay. are we drinking? What are we bathing in? What it's, I'm going to go around the, the table. Hair. I'm going to go around the table here and ask <laughs> this question. If you're in a hotel, yeah. And you turn on the water and not only does it stink, but it looks like brown murky, like, ugh. Are you staying in that hotel? Absolutely not. Especially Sarah, after I complain and it doesn't get better. No, I think it's like, it was so cheap that that couple in the in the documentary, I think they had the feeling of like, well, we can't complain because, you know, we paid uh, so little for this room. But I like, don't you can. care. <laughs> no, so I don't care if you there. let me stay in there for free. Do you hear me? No. No, I will complain and I will pack my dirty, unshowered, unbrushed teeth body up and leave that hotel. I will sleep in my car. No, absolutely not. I, I can't even. And it was days as well. Like it was it was like that for days because, you know, when when they discover she she was in the water tank for like long enough time that, you know, <sighs> she's pretty decomposed and is in like this water has been going through these rooms and like supplying like the restaurant and stuff. Anything and everything that happens after you, you know, decompose, that's what's happening. Okay. My next question for y'all then. We're used to this guys. Come on. Come on, Ty. I know (laughs) Sarah's like, (laughs) no, yeah. Y'all are used to it and y'all are used to how I react to this crap. Okay. My next question. If you just found out that the water you drank with breakfast this morning had a dead body in it, what would you do? I don't know how those people are like, okay. Um, I would not be okay with that. Like that would, they seemed oddly fine with it. Like, oh yeah, it tasted pretty gross. And um, yeah, I guess this is a really horrible situation, but like they were not as distressed as I feel like you should be. They didn't check out. (laughs) We're staying. (laughs) It's free breakfast. <laughs> I don't know how people were that cool about it. Like, like I said, it's it's a cheap hotel. But if you found that out about it, and then after getting there, you also found out the history of it, and that it was kind of you were kind of lied to a little bit about it. I I don't know how many people sued the hotel, but I imagine it was a lot of people. I think I'm more distressed than them, and I wasn't even anywhere near the hotel. <laughs> Where was I in 2013? Yeah, where yeah, were you? No, I was nowhere near the <laughs> West Coast in 2013. So yeah, and I'm more grossed out and disturbed by this, and I feel like I want to go drink Clorox right now. Okay, but and we do a true crime show. I don't even believe that you're totally grossed out because we no, hear. No, I am. Yeah, we hear, but it's just it's just different. And, and we eat different. people people that are being Wait, slow we cooked eat for dinner. We don't eat people. No, I what? mean we hear of people being slow cooked for dinner, the tastiest ribs ever. You know, with barbecue sauce. So there's no way this is really grossing us out to Char, that. I'm not sure, Sarah. That's that's true story. We've had a couple <laughs> true crime episodes where they've cooked up the person and eaten them or shared them. That's that's actually true. But very tasty ribs, the best I've ever had. But like cooked but. is cooked. <laughs> I would argue cooked is not as gross as this. Like just to boil it down from it, if I had to, if I had to consume what you're making me right now, I would. <laughs> I think I'd rather someone that was cooked than someone that had been, yeah, kind of. And that's the difference. One <laughs> is cooked. If you have to choose. 
Even though still <laughs> gross, one is cooked and it's fresh meat. That sounds disgusting, people. It does. And then the other one is a bloated. Have y'all seen what these corpses look uh, like when they come out of like the ocean or whatever? Yeah. And you just drank that. So, yeah, one is nasty. Yeah. But one is nasty. Like, uh, so that's why I'm acting like this. So anyways, in to sum everything up before this show lasts for like eight hours, <laughs> I am more. So we'll go around the table and see. I am more convinced of mental health mixed with true crime. I think it's more of a mental health aspect, but true crime in the negligence of the hotel. This is what this is what I'm convinced about. Shar, what are you convinced about? There's the three categories are mental health, paranormal, true crime. Can I actually say all three? Only because there's 16 unexplained deaths out of the 80 deaths. 16 unexplained. Well, deaths or overdoses, so still that's a death. So yeah, so I'm going to go with all three. Um, definitely the mental health, definitely true crime. And I still believe there's some paranormal mix in there because she's not the person to stay there, guest to stay there that this some something terrible happened. This happened many times. And when they can't explain it 16 times, you don't think that there's some paranormal involved because the true crime aspect didn't help all those other people. There's lots of information online. It says there's 16 out of the 80 that at least were reported. 16, and this is over many years, almost 100 years, but there's 16 that were unexplained. That means uh. mysteriously, they have no clue. They don't know what happened to these people. Whether but the place has been there for a hundred years. If I yeah. researched a place that has been in operation for a hundred years, I can come up with at least possibly, I'm just saying, 20 unexplained deaths. Just because you can't explain it doesn't mean it's paranormal. That's just me. I mean, there's hotels <laughs> that have many, many sightings of ghosts and things like that. And then you know there's a history of that. No one's ever, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Sarah, maybe you can catch this, but I don't believe that the Cecil Hotel had any, you know, sightings of, you know, the unexplained or ghostly activity. Um, I don't believe they have. They just have so many, you know, horrific things that have happened in, in that building. As far as I'm aware, I don't think before this case, people were going to the Cecil and um, saying they're experiencing like seeing things. But like since this case, um, people definitely did. Like people were going to this hotel just as tourists basically and being like ooh staying overnight at the the spooky haunted hotel so I think but I do think like there's a big overlap between um like the mental health side of things and and the paranormal in that like you could experience something that is explained by mental health but makes more sense to you as paranormal like there are cases of people staying in in hotels where they seem to see things that don't make any sense. And I think there's some sort of overlap there between, you know, struggling with your mental health and seeing things that aren't immediately explainable. And then like an answer that some people come to is a paranormal answer, whether that's like really based in scientific fact at all, you know? So I think, I think there's like an intersection between all of them, really. I think she might have experienced something that she viewed as paranormal, but obviously I don't know. The only person who knows that is Elisa, and obviously we we can't we can't know exactly what she was experiencing at that point. So I think I think it's a bit of all three. There's definitely some 
there's definitely some bad decisions made that kind of allowed this to happen. So from the true crime side of it, like <laughs> there's things that should have been in place to stop this. As people, if you want to point blame, there is there is blame to be dished out. That is that is my as my opinion at least. What do you think? I mean, so if you if you described the paranormal aspect as as the way you did where you know people could say paranormal because of the the mental health and she was seeing stuff that we weren't seeing then i i guess i would go into all three if you explained it the way of char did like there was this malevolent spirit there and they opened the hatch for her and was like getting then i don't agree with the paranormal i agree with the paranormal in the way that sarah just explained it so if it's the way sarah explained it then i'll go with all three if it's the way Shar was explaining it, then I'll stick with mental health and true crime. So, but to sum it up, to sum it up, we're definitely all three agreed on mental health and we're all three agreed on true crime. So that is the case of this. So it's, 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 it's definitely a mental health and a true crime issue of poor Elisa Lamb. So this has been... Kai and Shar with Love and Murder. And thank you so much, Sarah, for having us on your show. Thank <laughs> you, Sarah. For, okay. Oh, I, I didn't do my British That's accent. That's right. Cheerio. My quote-unquote British accent that us Americans always try to, you know, put on y'all whenever you whenever you say, I'm British. And we always have to be like, oh, I'm British. And we have to do that. Cheerio. Pop, pop. That's crazy. <laughs> No, my mom, the island my mom's from, she actually has a British Caribbean accent, so I always mess with her. So anyways, <clears throat> I'll do I'll do my ex my extra, my outro in a British accent. Okay. And where's our <clears throat> drum roll when we need it? Oh okay. shut up, Shar. <laughs> okay. So this has been Kai and Shar from Love and Murder Podcast. Thank you so much for having us on your show. You can follow us on social media at facebook.com forward slash relationship crime, Instagram at Murder, Instagram at Love and Murder Podcast, or go to our Facebook fan group. Just search Love and Murder fan page. <laughs> You can oh find God. all of this on our website, www.murderandlove.com. That's love and murder backwards, murderandlove.com. I don't know that she passed, Sarah. I mean, um, I'm so Sarah sorry, is Sarah. cracking up like, um, okay. This is interesting. I'm so sorry, Sarah. It's all right. I'm not going to try and do um, either of your accents. I can't do it. <laughs> Wow, that's wow, that was uh that was traumatic. (laughs) Do I sound like that to you? You don't. You you sound amazing. I just I can't do accents, I'm telling you. (laughs) She warned you, Sarah. I don't know. I think it was a bit, I think it was a bit, you know, I can definitely hear the British end of it for sure. And I could hear the I could hear the crappy we, we would like her her listeners to come to our show don't don't insult them anymore just sh- 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 <laughs> well she right. gave it a go so okay yeah thank you for sticking with me when we explore this uh in detail so you can find me 
on Twitter as Weird Horizon and you can find me on Instagram as Weird Horizon and you can interact with me there if you have some ideas of topics you'd like me to cover. So like you're saying, if you find any cases that you think um, have some potentially paranormal backgrounds, let me know and I'm happy to dig into it. Thank you for joining me for a very special episode today. I hope you found it interesting hearing some of the topics we've discussed in theory in previous episodes being applied by some to a real world scenario. I think of course there can be some issues with this approach, but it's an avenue I think deserves exploration in the future. If you have any ideas or topics you'd like me to cover, please do reach out to me on Twitter as Weird Horizon and Instagram as Weird Horizon Podcast. I hope you'll join me next week for a similar slightly spooky topic. Much love. Bye.